The first reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. So let us listen now to God's holy word and what it says to us this day. So John, the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole of the Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts and minds together this day, wherever we may be worshiping you from, be pleasing and acceptable to you. May your spirit open what you are revealing to us. And may your spirit, O Lord, quench the thirst of our souls. In your name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you took a moment to listen to the words in the first reading from the book of Genesis. Because I've often wondered if we've somehow failed at teaching the significance of the creation story in Genesis. Be curious what you think about that. I ask myself this because it appears 
that we conduct ourselves, that we live our lives in such a way that runs opposite to the narrative we find in the opening words of Scripture. Instead of believing that life bursts through these watery voids, we expect nothing but death. We expect disappointment, injustice. We expect ourselves to have nothing but cynical views about our fellow neighbors. We somehow think that only things that are far from the life-giving way of God break through these watery voids into our world. Where did we go wrong in our understanding of the story of creation, of what to expect from the unknown waters? Now, if we were Babylonians, I would say that we were heading in the right direction, that we didn't really need to change what we believed about how the world operated, about the creation of the world, because those ancient Near East neighbors of the people of Israel all those many years ago had a creation story as well, originating around the time of Genesis. But their story is a little bit different. They tell of a tale that paints a battlefield where the gods fought with one another and the gods created the world to build the earth we stand on and the sky above using their spoils of war. Quite different from the story of Genesis where God simply speaks things into existence. And while this neighboring story might seem far-fetched, like a distant relation to what we hear in Genesis, is it far from what we actually practice in our day-to-day living? We live as though we expect to be betrayed, that we'll get hurt, that certain things like war are inevitable, that poverty and greed are unavoidable, and that things, that these things will only cease to exist until we pass from the earth. Just turn on your local TV station, turn on the news, read a local paper even, for even in the local papers we'll discover that something is quite wrong. It is not life springing forth from watery voids, but a misconceived notion of death. And it is at this point here where we must realign, reorient ourselves in order to live as people God created us to be people who are beloved, people who are claimed, people who are sealed in the love of God. God disrupts the watery voids we think only bring destruction. God disrupts our complacent hearts and our belief that this is how the world works. For with 
one word, God brought forth light. Light that dispelled the fog and the vapors that engulfed the chaos of the watery globe at the beginning. With one word, God established a new order that flips our understanding of how things operate. No longer are we expected to live in the shadows of fear and death, but instead called to live in the light of God that disperses the murky gloom that tries to linger, tries to cling, tries to claim our weary hearts. In our reading from the Gospel of Mark, we hear that people flock to John, that people gathered around him. And these people who gathered around John the Baptist knew a thing or two about how the world worked in their time. They knew the yoke of oppression. They knew the dread and the terror of the Roman Empire, the occupying forces that surround them. They knew hopelessness. Yet in their baptism, they were asked to turn and repent. They were asked to turn and repent at their baptism so that they would no longer be silent no longer complicit in maintaining the status quo. This message from John is reinforced by the God of all creation who broke through the heavens once again at Jesus' baptism. Where I love the imagery of the Greek which says that God cleaved open the heavens to declare that there is a new way for us to live. And this new way of life is subversive to what we think we know. Just imagine for a moment that you are one of the people being baptized in those early days. Standing on the bank of the river, you make your way down to the waters where you are submerged. You feel the water enter your nose. You hear swirling water around you. And then you're brought up. You exit to the other side. And like in those early days, perhaps we're given a new set of clothes. For you are leaving behind a life that is held hostage by the old ways of living. Held hostage by an empire, by a life that is driven by accumulation, by vain promises of glory and fame. By putting on the new clothes of baptism, you are turning away from your old life and dedicating yourself to living as a disciple of our living God. Turning away from the old to the new, a new way of living. Now, most of us were not baptized in a river or asked to uh, strip down to their undergarments. Or most of us were not baptized in a context where we were fearing for our lives, for what we believe. But for many of us, we were still baptized into that same enduring community. 
We are called in our baptism to be that same enduring community that breaks through silence and is no longer complicit in allowing death to have its way. A community that voices its creator's great displeasure that we have allowed such loss of life, the demise and passing of this earth of innocence, a displeasure that we do not that we do not always believe or seem to believe that God will turn the world around through us. The waters of baptism are liberating. They break down the barriers that divide us. They call for a revolution in our way of thinking. Waters that remind us that the first shall be last, that the widows and the orphans shall inherit the kingdom of God, the strangers, the foreigners shall be welcomed, and much, much more. The waters of baptism remind us that God is here. That God is here right now in this very place, setting before us a way of life that runs counter to everything we have ever been taught. Everything we have ever been taught about what it means to be a successful person. In what ways are you living out your baptismal vow, your promise to God? this day? How are the waters of the font filling your senses in a way where you cannot help but see the world anew? Do not think for one moment that your baptism has no bearing on your, on our collective life. For the life-giving waters of God have shown us a better way to live the life-giving, the saving waters of God. Bring life and call us to spread this life so that it covers every square inch of creation. It means that we cannot be silent. We cannot view faith as a private practice, that we cannot let our faith keep us from speaking out for those who need the voice of an advocate. If we live and learn to lean hard into these life-giving waters, we might, if we are listening carefully enough, hear the voice of God cleave through the heavens and affirm the mission set on our hearts today. For now, more than ever, we need to believe that from the water, watery voids comes life. And I cannot help but think that in the reframing of our faith, we will see that the watery voids, the waters of baptism, hold more than we could possibly ever know. They are waters that hold our omissions. They are waters that hold our fears, our doubts, our faults. They are waters that do not consume the unjust, but quench their thirst that breaks through, that cleaves through their known world to reveal life in the kingdom of God and what it really means. So keep your heart attuned. Keep your heart listening 
for the water that flows from the throne of God. Knowing that they are not such watery voids, that they are not so much watery voids, as much as they are portals that spring forth life for you and all creation. For you were birthed from waters that brought forth life. You were birthed from waters that claim you, that wrap you in the love of God. You are a child of God with whom the Lord is pleased. For you are perfect just the way you are. And you now know, or perhaps are reminded, the story of God's creation and redemption. So let these waters carry you and carry me and all of us together to this new frontier where life flows abundantly into a world that is waiting and yearning. Amen.